0: Sports professor Riccardo, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Harlow inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. We're heading toward the holiday season, but we're also heading toward the World Cup. We'll be there, we'll give you reports. The finest sporting event in the world within a 35 mile radius for the first time ever. Quirky, certainly, changing the entire schedule around, pop-up stadiums to be sent to other nations to promote soccer, and on and on. It is a bizarre event, to be sure. Excited about being there. But before that, deal-making issues three to one. Three. The Attorney General of D.C., Carl Racine, filed a consumer protection lawsuit against the commanders Dan Snyder, the NFL, and Commissioner Roger Goodell accusing them of colluding to deceive and mislead consumers about an investigation of the team. The individual club and the league as a whole were also named in the Consumer Protection Civil lawsuit. D.C. Attorney General Racine said it was based on his office's investigations, which began last fall. And Racine said the defendants jointly misled the public about the contents of and procedures surrounding lawyer Beth Wilkinson's examination of the team workplace culture that began in 2020. His office seeks a court order that will force the league to release Wilkinson's findings, and for years, the team and the owner have caused very real and very serious harm that lied to dodge accountability, Racine said, also pointing a finger at Goodell in the NFL. They did all this to hide the truth, to protect their images, and let the profits continue. Racine said that even though the team practices in Virginia and plays games game in Maryland, strongly connected to D.C. and violated its consumer rights. 2. Sports betting remains a future goal in California, despite coming up short in midterms election night. The effort to legalize sports betting in California ran headlong into a typical challenge for competing ballot measures, as each was battered in a torrent of negative advertising that doomed both to spectacular failure in the most expensive ballot race in U.S. history, anytime voters face two measures at odds with each other, everybody tends to reject both," said Professor David McEwen, chairman of political science department at Sonoma State University. Whenever we have dueling ballot measures and the competitors have an arsenal of dollars, the competitors will go nuclear, and in nuclear war, everybody loses. Most powerful money in California politics: the no side of these initiatives. million votes counted Wednesday. More than 80% of voters rejected an effort by the gaming industry that would have allowed online and phone wagers on sports. Measures supported by Native American tribes that would have let gamblers play sports bets at tribal casinos and four horse tracks opposed by 70% with what could be a billion-dollar market in the state's most populous state, too much at stake for supporters to give up, and more than 30 other states now allow sports betting. But Californians limited to playing slot machines, poker, and other games at Native American casinos, wagering at horse tracks, card rooms, and the state lottery. One Ronaldo feel betrayed by Manchester United for trying to force him out. He said, not only the coach, but others. Honestly, he says, I don't know, I don't care, people should hear the truth. Yeah, I feel betrayed. Some people don't want to hear it, but I don't know what's going on. And Alex Ferguson left. Since then, I've seen no evolution. Even some points of technology, the kitchen, the chefs who appreciate lovely people, says Ronaldo. They stopped in time, which surprised me a lot. Ronaldo said, I don't have respect for the current coach because he doesn't respect me. Ronaldo joined United in August 2021 finished as their top soccer scorer in all competitions last season with twenty four goals, asked to leave the club in the summer to no avail. Deal making issue number one. And speaking of soccer and the World Cup, we just talked about it at the beginning. Pleased to have Alan Rothenberg, who was involved in many ways as the godfather of soccer. 94 World Cup, the most successful in FIFA history, 700 million dollar, 750 million dollar budget, yet had a 60 million dollar surplus, 64,000 people per game all over the U.S., the MLS in 1995, uh, as one of the brain trust co-founders, the women's gold medal game at the 96 Atlanta Olympics. Georgia-Sanford Stadium kind of started his idea. Then, the 1999, the Women's World Cup, U.S. versus China, at the Rose Bowl, 90,000 attended. He started at the L.A. Lakers in 1971 through 79, VP General Counsel, involved in philanthropy in so many ways, a partner at Latham and Watkins. Alan Rothenberg, certainly an inspiration. He sat down with me to talk about the meaning of business, life, and of course, The World Cup coming to Qatar very, very soon. So start the long story. Um, When did you decide? So um, uh, people who are friends from Michigan would love the idea of the undergrad and law school as a Wolverine. You started at the University of Michigan. And then when during that time, majored in business probably?
1: Nope. Go ahead. I majored in history. I went to law school. I came out thinking I'd be a litigator. There was no such thing as a sports lawyer yes, at that Yes, that's correct. Time. We know that. Uh, yeah, I, we know that. I, I I was it before I even realized that's yes. what I was. yes. Well, an interesting
0: dynamic, I was told... Uh, in law school with me that I could write a third-year paper, but it would have to be something that's not sports because, quote, there is no such thing as sports law. How about that for positive reinforcement? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. got
1: into it, believe it or not, in 1967. Oh, that's When thriller. you talk about the trillions yeah. of dollars yeah. in the economy, yeah. I w- was asked by Jack Cooke to be his lawyer. I was 28 years old, just a couple years out of law school, uh, and here I am working for a man who has the Lakers, the Kings, building the forum, owns uh, then a minority and ultimately 100% of the Washington then Redskins. Yeah, then Redskins. Uh, uh, so, I, you know, I was just thrown into it. I was a huge sports fan. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, when I took the job, he had an understandable and acceptable reputation. as be a very difficult man to work for. You took the risk. And yeah. And I sat there and I thought, geez, there's a good chance... he'll chew me up and spit me out and there I will be another lawyer you know trying to earn a living but if i didn't do it i'd probably look over my shoulder for the rest of my life and say what if what if so i said what the heck i did it i did it well I, i did it full time for him for a couple of years then went back into law practice and continued to represent him, and then later all kinds of athletes and teams and leagues and events. Though the meeting was happenstance, was was that at Latham and Watkins, or how did that? No, work? it was before that. Actually, I started at O'Melveny and Myers. Okay, and they represented Cook. Yeah, uh, and he was buying all these things, and he had said to his primary lawyer, uh, "You know, I need somebody in house, the kind of right hand man lawyer, yeah. to help me." Uh, and just by happenstance, the man who had interviewed me in Ann Arbor brought me out. Uh, a tax lawyer, I, I knew nothing about taxes, right. but he kind of took a, a liking to me, and he yeah. said, we've got a young man who was here, had left in that time I'd started a law firm with Chuck Burnett and Tom Phelps, uh, and you know, I know he's a big sports fan, he's real smart, uh, I'll recommend him uh, to, to you, Jack, and that's how it happened.
0: That's an unbelievable story that explains how a lot of people Got into the sports law wild, wild, wild west business when there was no
1: such thing. Yeah. And right? when you're talking about the, the trillions, just to put people in perspective. Yeah. So I go in there. Two years before, Gail Goodrich had been uh, the uh, MVP of the Final Four, uh, first draft choice in uh, the NBA, and his salary, as I looked at the contract, $16,500 uh, a week. <laughs> oh, no, no. A season. And then uh, it was. Did you do the negotiations? No, I, I inherited that contract. Okay, okay. I, I did some other ones that were a lot of fun. But, no, I, I did that just to, to put the dollars in yeah, perspective. Yeah, yeah, Sure. I think it was two years. In, oh, it was when the Lakers f- finally were in the forum. Yeah. They had a box office one day, a gate of $100,000. First time in NBA history that anybody had a $100,000 oh. gate. <laughs> So did, did you see? And we'll talk about the. We have more than enough time to do other stuff.
0: But did you see the vision in the early '70s? And I guess you were VP and General Counselor from so '71 through '79, and then the Clippers. Did you have any idea that the NBA would be as big and as global as it is today?
1: Uh, I don't think anybody did, yeah. except maybe David Stern. Yeah. Uh it, right. You know, it kept growing incrementally. Remember, in the '70s, it was in it was on the rocks. Yeah. Uh, they actually. Had, Retained bankruptcy lawyers to look into the efficacy of going through some kind of Chapter Eleven proceeding. Basically, magic uh, and Bird saved him, and yeah. then Jordan yeah. came right after that. Because and that, you know, to his credit, David was smart enough uh, to basically promote the players. Up until then, the, the gap between owners and players is kind of like, unfortunately, what it may be in baseball and other yeah. sports today. He basically said, "Our sport's going to depend on." These players, and he really promoted them, and obviously, uh, that really just relaunched the NBA and took it to the point where it is now. In fairness of full disclosure, you like to talk about the Lakers, so let's talk about the Clippers. Sure. What what
0: did you do with, for, or despite them? Well, it was very interesting
1: because (laughs) Donald Sterling had acquired the Clippers, uh, was doing in San Diego, was doing everything possible wrong. David Stern and I had known each other as young lawyers. I was yeah. a l- lawyer for the Lakers. He was at that time a young lawyer uh, representing the NBA. Right. Uh, so, w- you know, we'd been colleagues all that time. David called uh, Donald and said, "Donald, go hire Alan Rothenberg. He'll straighten you out." Um, that was in 1982. I thought that advice would be a kiss of death, but I guess he yeah. Would follow. We, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> believe me, it was not easy. Yeah. Uh, sure. Uh, in. One of the things that Sterling had done uh, that got him into trouble was he had attempted to move the team to Los Angeles without the league's permission. Mm. The league got an injunction, you know, sent him back to San Diego. Right. In the interim, the Raiders suit against the NFL right. was successful, created a, uh, for a brief period of time, till the leagues could change their bylaws, an opening uh, to move the team without the league's permission. So uh, in 1984, uh, I brought uh, the Clippers up to Los Angeles, uh, and uh, that, you know, <laughs> that began about a seven-year lawsuit between the NBA and the Clippers. Interestingly enough, David, a lawyer in, yeah. himself, uh, and I were always friends. He, you know, it wasn't, he, I was doing what I should do for a, a client. And he knew that because he wasn't going to say, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Wait so. a minute. When he <laughs> retired, they had a small dinner for him at yeah, the St. Regis, and it was all NBA insiders. Yeah there was only a couple of us that weren't f- right from the NBA family. I was invited, and David, in it's his flattering. inimitable fashion, is going around the room ribbing everybody. Yeah, of and, course. and he gets to me and he said, who invited Rothenberg? <laughs> he said, he represented the two owners, yeah. Cook and Sterling, who gave me more no trouble, trouble than, anybody, than anybody in history.
0: Yeah, but, but you had a great um, s- 1970s uh, uh, awareness and education of what basketball was all about. Let, let's segue... Let's segue to to, to soccer by what what was the first vision or inkling that you were going to, you know, spend your life doing what you did
1: in soccer? Um, It it just happened again. Yeah. uh, In 1966, the World Cup was broadcast by satellite into the United States, first satellite telecast of an event like that. That got a lot of sports owner promoters to think, ah, the next sport, 66. Uh, So. They started a a soccer league. I'm 28 years old, I'm working for Cook. Believe me, there's not a lot of spare time when you're working for a guy like Jack Cook. And he turns to me, uh, I'd never seen a soccer game in my life, let alone played it. He said, look after this team for me. So I'm the general manager of a (laughs) soccer team. Was this the one where they (laughs) borrowed European teams? Yeah, they borrowed European teams uh, the first year because they had to do it in a hurry. Then the second year, they put their own teams together. That's where I was in charge. Cook. Uh, bowed out after the second year. And they, he and, asked you to put the players together? Oh, yeah. He, wow. In 1968. And soccer he gave, really does survive after he, all that? Yeah. <laughs> he gave me, this is hysterical, he gives me, a, a, I think it was like a less than a half a million dollar budget. Uh, and he sends me off to England with a contact. I didn't even have a passport at yeah, that yeah. time. And his parting words were, you get a team for me, and I have my pride. This better be a good team. Oh so I go there, yeah. and I hire a, a coach who was really prominent, uh, and with the money that's left after his salary, I, I give that rest to him. And I said, and now you bring me that team, <laughs> and I have my pride. <laughs> it better be a good team. <laughs> so and. anyway, we lasted that one year. Yeah. He got out. That was my introduction to soccer. Um, in 84, uh, excuse me, before that, yeah. in the 70s when yeah. the Cosmos lit the world on fire, right. sure. uh, a group of us thought, aha, this is the time. Mm-hmm. And we put a l- limited partnership together, bought the L.A. Aztecs, mm-hmm. um, but we couldn't keep up with Warners, which owned, yeah, which, which owned the Cosmos. Right. So after a few years that were a lot of fun, but financially disastrous, we bowed. In between, I did nothing in soccer. I was doing a lot of other sports. Do you remember, by the way, t- was there a whole
0: revenue share? I mean, this was not an NFL model. It no. It was and,
1: and, almost and, like Premier League, the well, top and, guys. Yeah, are, and by the bottom. way, that a lot of the lessons I learned there and the lessons that I learned from the Olympics right. um, are what caused me to, when I created Major League Soccer, to create it as a single entity. Yeah. Uh, because what it was just it was the Wild West in uh, the old NASL yeah. uh, and they expanded way too fast mainly because they wanted to have a f- footprint in enough places nationally for a good television contract right. but it, you know as I said we were a group of just working stiffs in <laughs> <and> a limited <laughs> yeah. partner right. trying to keep up with a huge uh, public company that right. was doing it not just because they loved it but they had a lot of executives mm-hmm. you know, particularly yeah. in the music business with those English acts. And it yeah. was as much to yeah. get the acts yeah. as it was anything else. Yeah. So we, So you're segueing now and the Olympics is- That would happen yeah. in, in, in mm-hmm. 84, the Olympics are in LA and Peter Yubroff among the really smart things that he yeah. did, um, he knew he couldn't for two or three years get prominent people busy in their careers to give up and, and volunteer. So he came mm-hmm. up with a concept that he would appoint a commissioner, sort of a super volunteer, for each sport in each venue, then he would hire the junior staff, if you will. You really wanted to pick people's brains and and their Rolodexes, which existed at that time. (laughs) Um, Anyway, he asked me to do uh, soccer. Uh, To everybody's amazement, uh, soccer was a huge success. We actually outdrew track and field for the first and maybe only time, for all I know. Uh, And that's when FIFA was kind of opened their eyes and said, wow, maybe we bring the World Cup to the United States. Uh, We won't be embarrassed with empty stadiums. Uh, And so that then led to them awarding the World Cup to the United States. You were all excited about it in hindsight, but
0: did you expect that you would have a $60 million surplus and 64,000 people per game and overcome the cynicism that this shouldn't be in the States?
1: Uh, I didn't expect the details, but I really did expect it was gonna be a huge success. Uh, I was aware of the U.S. citizens' love for the big event. And so if we can package this as a big event, which it is, um, it'll catch on. Uh, We also knew that there were a core of ethnic Americans for whom soccer was a passion, uh, and they may not watch a domestic league uh, but boy the World Cup is coming they knew what it was uh, and so we knew there would be that core and then if we could combine that with the then growing uh, group of mostly white suburban youth yeah. uh, and their families uh, we had a core and, and then we promoted the daylights out of it uh, and and as I say I mean when we took it over the, interestingly enough the, F- the soccer federation was so afraid it would bankrupt the F- soccer federation that they had created a separate entity uh, to run it, uh, which is how we ended up having that $60 million surplus yeah. preserved into a foundation. Cause if it stayed in right. the federation, which was, you know, not managed professionally, let's right. put it that way. So, uh, retrospect 96, it started, so was a 26
0: years of, of MLS. Um, Happy with it. Too broad a question, but it's a hard question to to answer. Look where they are now. Look at the values. We've got some TV contracts which will determine a lot of the future of the league. you got uh, grassroots programs all over the place. I know you're happy with your accomplishment. Where do you think uh, U.S. soccer and MLS are right now?
1: Uh, I think they're at a great, great uh, uh, point. I think uh, MLS, as you said, is going into their 26th year uh, expanding. They still have major cities and wealthy investors knocking on the door to get teams. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a couple things that, that did it, and they've been really disciplined about it. One is we wanted to have strong owners, and so they weren't doing what happened, in my experience, in the NASL and having a bunch of well-meaning oh, guys yeah. but without the capital. Right. You know, they're heavyweights. Where do we get one of those Pelé and Beckenbauer? We yeah. don't have them, but we can't <laughs> afford them. Right? And number two... Uh, needed soccer-specific stadiums. We sat there at the beginning and said, you can't play in these 70,000-seat stadiums and you can't play in junior college stadiums and pretend you're major league. Uh, Lamar Hunt really bought into that, built the first one, and now- Almost everybody. And and that's really been been crucial. Uh, It's been growing like crazy. U.S. soccer, obviously, is is really solid, uh, they're going through an interesting little uh, presidential yeah. political race yeah, right now, but, so. but they'll survive it uh, and and uh, there's they're strong in, in every respect uh the, probably the biggest weakness, and I hope that they can solve it uh, is getting away from the pay to play methodology uh, in the youth markets because there are too many uh, kids of uh, lower income. Uh, and many of those are are, are kids of color right. uh, that just can't get into the system because yeah. it's between paying what the fees are and then traveling all over the place if you're on an elite uh, uh, team. Again, I think MLS is going to be part of the solution because they don't care about pay-to-play. Right. They, care, they about care about quali- developing yeah, yeah, quality so, exactly players. Right. That, and so I think they're all having their youth teams and academies, and I think they'll they'll do fine.
0: Let's finally end on... Another high note, 28. Is LA ready for the 28 Olympics?
1: LA's always ready. We're yeah. ready for the 26 World Cup. We're ready yeah, for yeah. the 28 oh, Olympics. Right. Uh, you know, we are blessed here. Yeah. The, the great thing, and one of the reasons that both the Olympics could be financially successful and the World Cup was yeah. financially successful is we have the facilities. Yeah, right. Everybody else goes broke because they got to spend bajillions yeah. of dollars on capital improvements we have arenas, stadiums, yeah. airports, hotels, yeah. uh, and then obviously we have all the wonderful entertainment uh, offerings, and uh, I don't know when you're going to broadcast this, but but the weather right now, and the second week in February is in the 80s. Doesn't matter. Whatever yeah. broadcasts, so, the weather's going to be fine. You know, fun. It, yeah. L.A. is just an awesome city. And, yeah. and, 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 so. and
0: governance, too, and the Sports Commission, not just kudos, but sure. the people that I've been speaking with, the you know garcetti legacy uh, richard reardon the, the whole uh brain trust of the political leadership of la in
1: the last 40 50 years understand sports as an economic
0: development tool
1: oh absolutely i mean one of the hats i wear right now yeah. is i'm chair of the la tourism board right. and sports is an integral part of that uh and uh kathy schlossman and the yeah. sports uh, and entertainment commission has this 10-year program to raise r- like 100 million dollars to put in bids to make sure we keep the steady flow of Super Bowls, World Cups, all-star games, uh, and the like coming to L.A. And then um, just Sunday here in L.A., NASCAR did a race at yeah. the L.A. Coliseum, yeah. uh, and it was a huge success. Yeah. So, yeah. you know a great city for for everything, but particularly for sports.
0: One more quick add-on question, subsequently, about the future of revenues to the gaming industry. Uh, Not-too-distant future, LSU's already doing it, Colorado, Michigan
1: State, where gaming will be an important part of collegiate sports as well, right? Absolutely. I think that uh, for years everybody was afraid that it would yeah. contaminate the sport. The, the interesting part is that uh, this gambling's been going on forever, uh, and they've been using the intellectual property of pro-teams and colleges uh, yeah. to, to attract the yeah. money, well why in the heck shouldn't yeah. the, the, the teams and the yeah. schools uh, get that? And they're not betting, they don't care who, who wins the bet, they're getting a percentage of the handle yeah. or they're getting in that That's case, just right. a sponsorship fee. Sponsorship, yeah. Okay, um, so yeah. it, it, believe me. And the other good thing is is that the players in the sports have been getting so much money that we're taking an awful lot of money to bribe somebody. Uh, You know, if you read the cases about bribery like in international cricket or even tennis, it's at the low end. It's, you know, where no one's paying attention and and where the athletes aren't getting any money. So a few bucks (laughs) could tempt them. We could do this for
0: hours, but the one thing that I find uh, always refreshing with Alan Rothenberg is there's not enough space on that head for all of the hats that you wear. The industry is blessed. Really appreciate the time you're spending, Alan. Thank you very much.
1: Well, I appreciate what you're doing. It's really Uh, great to have people who really understand what our industry is all about. and It's terrific. Well, Alan, of course, very
0: significant in the industry, and uh, it couldn't be better timing around the World Cup. How about the sports gambling minute? Maryland's 40 million dollars. bet, 34 million won. The House bill comes out ahead, but for gamblers betting on sports in Maryland, also big payouts. The Maryland Lottery and Gaming Commission reports that the state's eight sports wagering facilities handled about 40 million in wagers in October and paid out 35 million in winnings. First full month for legal wagering in Maryland January. 32.5 million in wagers. The October handle minus prizes left the Maryland sportsbooks with a hold of 5.3 million or 13.4%. And the launch of Maryland sports betting available in person for anybody over the age of 21 complement the recent bet MGM editions in the DMV area, like the launch of retail sportsbook at MGM National Harbor in a partnership with the Washington Nationals and becoming the first official gaming partner for the Baltimore Ravens. Other big names, like Live, Hotel, and Casino, and Horseshoe Casino, added sportsbooks to the lineup of games they provide to betters. That's your Sports Gaming Minute. Now the Tech Minute. Meta announces stadium app for watching sports in virtual reality. The app on its Quest store, VR streaming startup, YBVR developed the app, now streaming free, on-demand footage from three NASCAR races, two UFC Fight Pass events, one championship fight, and EuroLeague basketball, and a whole host of other events. Avatar reality broadcast quality stadium users watch parties with their Avatar friends. We believe the metaverse will unlock a whole new economy for the sports industry And Stadium, expelled X-T-A-D-I-U-M, another step toward an exciting future, says Rob Shaw, made as North American Director of Sports Media and League Partnerships. Condensed 45-minute NASCAR races now streamed on Stadium, including last week's championship at Phoenix. Your Sports Tech Minute. Now, Cali Kazire is back with his three games to watch from the lens of the sports business from college football. Number seven, USC. Number 16, UCLA. One of the most iconic football rivalries gets another chapter in the book. This week, and this year, both teams ranked in the top 25. Both teams made headlines this offseason, abruptly announced they're leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten in 2024, staple of the conference for years. And considering the Big Ten consists of the Midwest and the East, the move from California California Programs makes little sense geographically, but the numbers behind the move are significant. For example, ticket prices could increase 25 to 30 percent, and marquee matchups with programs such as Michigan and Ohio State a large factor in that. Big Ten media rights alone could increase 25 percent, with USC and UCLA jumping from a billion to about a billion to five, and along with the added two-story programs with large fan bases. Covering the L.A. market to the mix and adding it is a game-changer for the Big Ten. Number 24, Oklahoma State at Oklahoma. The Bedlam series returns for another edition of the rivalry. Been played since 1904. This may be one of the last games in the 112-year matchup. Oklahoma leaving for the Big 12 to the SEC in 2025. Tight schedules planned all the way ahead to 2038 for OSU likelihood of the second-longest contiguous football rivalry coming to an end soon, almost certain at this point. And much like USC and UCLA, Oklahoma and Texas announced they'll leave their conference for supposedly greener grasses, joining the SEC in 2025, conference realignment expected to continue across the country, with media rights deals and the new NIL rules playing large factors. And while the Bedlam games have been played for over 100 years consecutively and an economic boost to the state, Oklahoma saw the allure of joining the SEC just too much to give up. And then finally, number 10, Utah at 12, Oregon. And despite the uncertainty of the Pac-12 future with the USC-UCLA departure, the Pac-12 had a strong year on the field, an impressive five teams in the top 20 currently, and two of the best teams face off in Eugene, Oregon, and Utah. Despite being a top 15 matchup with, uh, with uh, top and possible playoff implications, the Dame relegated to late slot on ESPN at ten thirty, which led to scrutiny from fans who believed the game was worthy of a primetime slot Biggest football game, a lot of complaints. But other conferences, such as the Big Ten and Big 12, signing new media rights deals, pressure has been on the Pac-12 to act before it loses more schools to other conferences. And according to the Sports Business Journal, the conference already submitted a robust proposal to ESPN and Amazon. Pac-12 may command a base figure like the Big like the Pac-12's recent media rights deals, but there's also a possibility that Amazon may pass on the big, on the Pac-12 altogether to pursue a bid for the expanded college football playoff. Instead, Amazon expected to make a move into college football at some point with the recent pursuits of live sports streaming, most notably NFL's Thursday Night Football. TV rankings and performance of Utah and Oregon, along with USC and UCLA, could be telling for the future of the Pac-12. Thank you, Collie, for the usual perspective and what it means not only in sports today, but where everything is going in the future. We have this as a pretty significant issue every week, College and Pro. Finally, Good Sports 5. Celtics forward Grant Williams talks sports business to Harvard students Team executives talk philanthropy, the ultimate undergraduate sports lab. Uh, Red Bull drivers um, said Max Verstappen refuses a team order to let Sergio Perez pass in the Sao Paulo GP. He refused to give his reasons for disobeying, although he insisted he made his feelings clear to the team. And again, that may hurt his marketability and therefore charity and philanthropy. Alex Pereira rallies to stun and knock out Israel Adesanya to claim that title. The Minnesota Vikings defeat the Bills to go down as one of the biggest games of the season. And the bottom line is the NFL continues to get stronger. And then finally, NFL Germany's debut in Munich, a mini Super Bowl, demand for more games, significant issue, and the NFL never sleeps. That's your good sports five. Well, as usual, I'd like to thank uh, Kali Kazier and Nick Nielsen for helping us put this together. Thank my friend and soccer hero, Alan Rothenberg, for his input and perspective on soccer in America and soccer all over the world. Thank you all for listening and watching. Joining us in the $1.3 trillion business of sports, I'm Riccardo, the sports professor. See you next time.